Hi, this is Jim Willie from the Hat Trick Letter, found on www.goldenjackass.com, and you are listening to Run to Gold. Welcome back to the RunToGold.com podcast. This is episode 55 and an interview with Ian Gordon of the Longwave Group. Now, we had some technical difficulty, uh, mainly because of getting the Google Voice to work with the wonderful Apple's iPhone because they blocked the Google Voice app. Anyways, we were able to get it to work, but there are a little bit of a couple glitches, so just bear with it. Thanks. Welcome back to the RunToGold.com podcast. I've got with us today a special guest, Ian Gordon, from the Longwave Group, which you can find at longwavegroup.com. Uh, welcome, Ian. Well, thank you very much for having me. Great. To start off with the latest news, why do you think that the gold price has taken this uh, rapid jump of about $60 an ounce over the last week? Um, I, you know, I'm never really that concerned about uh, machinations in the market. I'm extremely bullish on the gold price basically because I think that the world is falling into the deflationary depression of the 30s. And because of that, uh, I don't really worry about uh, what's happening in the in the short or intermediate term. I think we're going to see much higher prices anyway. But I guess if I was to give you an answer, I suspect it might be that India is buying uh, the IMF gold that's being put up for sale. Yeah, 200 tons of it. Uh, usually that's trotted out by the central banks. Oh, we're going to sell the IMF gold and the price will go down. But in this case, India, you know, half of what was available. And I suppose that China is probably waiting in the wings also to buy the remaining amount. Why do you think it is that India is willing to allocate so much of their capital to uh, purchase the IMF's gold? Well, I think that, uh, you know, gold, you know, as money is going to shift to, to the wealthy countries, um, and it's shifting essentially, you know, out of the, out of the United States because the IMF is essentially run by the United States and it's moving to the wealthy countries of the East. And that's where the wealth of the world is, uh, is moving as well. And I think that uh, for a country like India, it has to put some of its reserves or more of its reserves than it already has because it only has a minuscule amount into gold because uh, other reserves are in the dollar and you know what's been happening to that. I mean, basically anyone invested in the dollar has been badly hurt. Yeah, exactly. I I couldn't agree with you more on these points. Now, with uh, with the long wave group, uh, you focus a lot on the Kondratiev winter. And, and actually, uh, we met, gosh, what was it, a few years ago up at the Cambridge House Conference. I think we were both uh, presenting up there. And, and we have a little, I think we have a pretty similar viewpoint on uh, what's happening. Like, what is the Kondratiev winter and the theory that undergirds a lot of your work? Okay, my work is uh, basically uh, developed around the Kondratiev cycle and that cycle was uh, promulgated by Nikolai Kondratiev, a Russian economist in the in the mid 1920s, and it's a it's a long economic cycle. And he based his uh, theory on uh, on prices, on the movement of trade, uh, on money movements and inflation, and so on. And uh, he came up with this idea that uh, capitalism really underwent uh, this long cycle of expansion and contraction. And that cycle was sort of uh, lasted about 60 years. So the first half of the cycle is really the expansion phase, and the second half is the contraction phase. And the, the last quarter of that, uh, or the, the last quarter of that contraction phase, 
essentially is the depression, deflationary depression stage in the cycle. Now, uh, just kind of an interesting side note. What whatever happened to uh, Mr. Kondratiev? Well, he, uh, he uh, Stalin uh, sent him to a gulag, and uh, he uh, he died, I think, in about 1938 in the gulag. I mean, some people have it, have it that he was executed, but uh, uh, what I've read was he actually just died in the gulag. I mean, it's almost. Uh, I mean, it'd be funny if it weren't so sad that we have these uh, political uh, leaders, you know, really just criminal gangs that, that strut around in their costumes, and yet when somebody comes and uh, does have a theory, uh, like Galileo, for example, and it explains how the world really works, uh, the common response to that is to throw them in the gulag. And so uh, Mr. Kondratiev was not any different than a lot of the very insightful thinkers that we've seen over the last century. I noticed from your, your report that I read, the All the Glitters is Gold report, and we'll link to it in the notes uh, to this podcast, you, you said, quote, the velocity of money keeps declining because money increases in purchasing power. Uh, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, you know, I mean, most people today are basing their assumptions on the Federal Reserve printing and assuming that that monetary printing is going to lead to inflation. And uh, the, uh, most of the bullish gold adherents are bullish because they see inflation coming into the economy. We're of the opposite view. We are. We believe that we're going to have a deflation and, a, in fact, a massive deflation in the economy. And uh, to have inflation, yeah, you have to increase the money supply, but the money supply, that increase has to transfer uh, to people who want to spend it and to spend it as fast as they can because what they see ahead of them is just rising prices, so they buy today rather than pay the higher price tomorrow. What happens in deflation is people don't spend, they hoard money because they see lower prices tomorrow and they'd rather wait for the lower prices. And also, in a deflationary kind of environment, it's always sort of uh, happens when the economy is, is really, really bad. And, and at this stage of the Kondratiev cycle, we are going into the Kondratiev winter or deflationary depression stage so that uh, people are scared. So they're not going to be spending the money that the Federal Reserve, uh, the central banks around the world would want them to do. They're going to be hoarding the money as are the banks. The banks aren't lending that money out. They're hoarding it, too, to improve their capital base. And uh, so we don't get a velocity, a fast movement of money in this kind of environment. In fact, we get a very slow movement in the monies. Yeah, and, and actually, uh, I think I've used the term uh, frozen. <laughs> but to take the other side of the argument, uh, and, which I'll do here, isn't all of the, isn't this huge pent-up uh, bank reserves, isn't that kind of just like a flood uh, waiting to happen as soon as the dam bursts? Uh, isn't that kind of, that's the argument of the inflationists. You know, as soon as this, as soon as all of these bank reserves uh, finally burst through the dam, we're going to have a lot of inflation. Of course, they, they also like to argue that that's why gold is going up is because it's sensing this inflation uh, that will be coming down the Excuse system. Me. Uh, how do you respond well, to that type of argument? Well, we've only just begun the uh, real payback period. You know, the whole purpose of the Kondratiev winter or deflationary depression part of the cycle is the basically the washing out of the debt that's been built up throughout the cycle 
And our present cycle started in 1949, but the principal buildup in debt occurs in what I call the autumn of the cycle, and that the autumn started in 1982, and that's when uh, banks really start to uh, make money available to consumers and corporations. So there's a huge amount of borrowing that goes on uh, starting in 82, but really reaching its peak essentially in 2007. And um, that big borrowing, uh, you know, it's, it's being lent to people who will never have the wherewithal to pay it back. And we can see that in the housing crisis that you're now going through you know, in, in the United States at this time. And we're going to go through it in Canada, although most Canadians would believe that we're not. When that happens, all that debt starts to come out of the system. So that's money coming out of the system. And so the banks, even though they've had one, you know, where they've been hit hard once on the uh, subprime mortgage lending, they're going to hit, get hit hard again on other kinds of debt. Uh, it'll be things, um, it'll be commercial uh, real estate that'll start to, hurt them, it'll be, uh, we're already seeing uh, credit card debt starting to hurt and so on. So there's a massive amount of debt that's going to have to be taken out of the system. If you look at the total debt in the United States today, it's about $58 trillion. Now, if we take the government debt out of there and, and say, well, okay, that's, that's not, although some of it is in the banking system, but that's not really a, a worry to the banks. We've got about 40 $44 trillion of consumer, corporate, and financial debt. And uh, now, um, you know, how much of that debt is going to be washed out in the winter? I, I sort of conservatively estimated it's going to be, uh, you know, half, $22 trillion. I suspect it's going to be more, but at $22 trillion, you, the Federal Reserve doesn't have the power of the wherewithal to print that kind of uh, money so that, and even if they did print 22, you'd simply be at the same place that you are now. You wouldn't have really increased the money supply. So that's really what's going to happen is we're going to have a massive decrease in the money supply and a massive deflation as we did in the 30s because the debt problem was the same. It wasn't as bad as it is today. And in fact, in the 30s, in the early 30s, 31, 32, you had a 30% deflation uh, occurring in the United States. And we, I see a similar kinds of things happening this time. Now, this, this raises an interesting issue uh, that I address actually just right off the bat in my book, and it is what is money? And so I like to, I actually like to distinguish money from currency, currency being the tool or instrument that we use in our ordinary daily transactions, and currency uh, can either be money, money substitutes, or illusions. And so money has to be a tangible asset, such as gold, and then a money substitute would be, say, a gold certificate like we had in 19, uh, pre-1933. And then illusions just being these uh, made-up uh, little green paper tickets, uh, Federal Reserve notes or Canadian dollars or whatever these fiat currencies are. So when we're talking about the deflation of the uh, – deflation under the Austrian uh, definition being a de uh, decline in the money supply, or I would say the currency supply, uh, what exactly could we have happen? Could we have the, the, the illusions actually increase, that supply increase, uh, to help support more of this uh, gigantic inverse liquidity pyramid that's on top of it? Or is your argument that even if the Federal Reserve tries to increase that level of the currency supply, which are the illusions, the capital will still go lower into something safer and more liquid, uh, primarily gold. 
and that there's nothing they can really do to stop this uh, evaporation of the liquidity pyramid because the earning capacity of the worldwide economy just isn't there to support the service of all of this debt. Yeah, no, I think I think definitely, and um, uh, we've all seen uh, Exeter's inverse pyramid, and uh, and I, you know, I've got it on my site, and I know you've sort of uh, sort of developed your own inverse pyramid, uh, and um, you know, but the 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 thing at the bottom of the pyramid is gold. I mean, that is the ultimate uh, currency that people have uh, a trusted and that's really what we're already seeing that move to gold there isn't any inflation uh yet there's been a massive move to gold because the gold price is uh closing in on $1100 an ounce so people are buying gold and uh, simply because the, and hoarding gold simply because they're so fearful of what is transpiring yeah, so we see the evaporation of, like, auction rate securities, for example, or commercial mortgage-backed securities or uh, money market funds. And those light cash instruments, we're seeing people move into uh, either treasury bills or going a step further, like the Indians, and saying, just give me 200 tons of physical bullion in my hand. Right. <laughs> and, and it's, uh, yeah, and fear is uh, definitely pretty, pretty powerful motivator. Now, uh, I'd like to tease out another one of the quotes from uh, that report that you sent out. It said, once the debt bubble is unwound, it is deflationary in nature because it is painful and results in bankruptcies on both sides of the ledger. Actually, it takes money out of the system, and during our Kondratiev winter, trillions of dollars of debt will be expunged. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about the latter part of that, but how about the former? When you talk about it results in bankruptcies on both sides of the ledger, uh, what exactly do you mean there? I mean both the creditors and the debtors are going to are going to be bankrupt, and we've we've already seen that. We've seen the creditors, the the major banks, uh, both in the UK and in uh, and in the United States, uh, being severely impeded by the uh, credit bu bubble bursting, and we've seen the debtors being severely hurt as well. We've seen General Motors uh, go bankrupt. We've seen Chrysler go bankrupt. Um, and that's just the beginning because, as I say, the next shoe has to drop. Uh, what we've seen really uh, at, 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 in this recovery phase that we're seeing in the markets and so on is, is very similar to the recovery phase we saw 1929 to 1930, April 1930, uh, when the Federal Reserve at that time, you know, was really frightened by the crashing stock market and uh, pushed money into the banking system at a horrendous rate. Uh, in one week alone, according to Murray Rothbard in his book, The Great Depression, the money supply was increased by 10%. Um, and uh, they brought down interest rates in six weeks from 6 to 3.5%. That got the things going again, and it got particularly the stock market going again. So we got a recovery of stock in the stock market from November 1929 into April 1930, and, and essentially 50% of the losses that occurred before that uh, were recovered. Um, but the whole thing is that the debt that was underpinning the economy had not been paid back, and so that that was the real fragile state in the economy was the debt bubble that had occurred throughout the 20s, and it's the same position that we're in today. So we've had a recovery in the stock market. I believe that recovery is over, 
and we're now going into the next level down in stocks, much as we did after April 1930. Yeah, and we've actually already seen the Dow break down. It, it, it broke down below nine uh, ounces of gold for the Dow uh, just recently. Now, uh, back to this, this part about bankruptcies on both sides of the ledgers, how are we seeing the mark-to-market uh, FASB 157 affecting or uh, being applied in uh, keeping some of these uh, zombie banks alive? Well, I think we're seeing it through a slate of hand. Uh, basically, the, um, the values of uh, the derivatives that they have on their books have been sort of pushed under the rug and hidden you know, uh, from view so that uh, we're not really uh, going to be apprised of what the real situation is in, in the banks. Yeah, and isn't that perhaps one of the reasons that we're seeing the bank reserves so high is that all the banks, they have an incentive to understate their liabilities under FASB 157, uh, and yet at the, at the same time overstate the assets. But really, uh, the, the, the liabilities that one bank holds are the assets of another bank, and all the banks know that everybody else is lying, and so that's why everybody's sitting on a lot of their capital. Uh, would you say that's a pretty fair assessment? I think so, yeah. It's very, yeah, it's absolutely right on. Okay, I got another, uh, another quote that I found very interesting in that, in that report you sent out. It said, when that occurs, as in 1873 and 1929, and now there is fear and panic. In all panics, there exists an instinctive will in all of us to survive and succor loved ones. Like always, the paper money system collapsed and gold replaced it. And so, in my in my uh, in my book, The Great Credit Contraction, I addressed the issue of peak oil. And so I was wondering exactly how bearish uh, on the general worldwide economy are you? Because obviously you're bullish about the precious metals, but how bearish are you on the worldwide economy and perhaps uh, standard of living, for example? Well, I'm I'm very bearish, and I mean, again, you know, we, we we go back to the 30s to use that as really the measuring stick for what we might expect uh, this time around. And in the 30s, the U.S. Um, economy contracted by about 45%. So GDP dropped by 45%. Now, I think it's going to be bigger this time because the debt bubble is significantly larger now than it was in the, in the, you know, in 1929. Uh, but just assume 45%, it means really that GDP drops from about 14 to 8 trillion dollars. So that's a huge, huge drop, and it means, uh, A, that people are far poorer than they've ever been, and B, uh, an awful lot of them aren't working. You know, in the U.S. in, the, in 33, 25% of the workforce was unemployed, but you also had a much larger uh, percentage of the workforce was employed in agriculture, and most of them were continuing to work. It seems like you're, you're not quite as bearish as some of the people out there. Uh, for example, we have extremely complex systems, and when the Federal Reserve intervenes in determining both the money supply and the cost of money through interest rates, it amounts to central economic planning. And that central economic planning, it may have worked uh, when the economy was so simple, you know, uh, some thug coming and saying, well, you can only uh, sell your cow for a certain amount. Uh, but now we have these hugely complex systems uh, where we drill five miles into the uh, ocean in order to extract oil. 
and then spray that oil onto our fields as herbicides and pesticides and uh, fertilizers to grow our food, and then we put the oil into trucks and things to uh, to get it to supermarket. So we've got these hugely complex systems uh, with central economic planning, and that central economic planning is now failing. And there's a branch within the Peak Oil Group uh, that talk about die-off. Under Austrian economic theory, interest rates regulate production over time, and uh, if I understand your argument, Okay, and just to tease out another quote from uh, your report, a quote, when that occurs in 1873, 1929, and now, there is fear and panic. In all panics, there exists an instinctive will in all of us to survive and succor loved ones. Like always, the paper money system collapsed and gold replaced it. So I know that you're, you're bullish on the precious metals, but how bearish are you on the overall economy? Well, um, I'm very bearish, and I mean, I use the, the previous Kondratiev cycle as my yardstick for what might occur in this cycle. And so in the winter of the last cycle, which started with the stock market peak in October, oh, sorry, September 1929, we got into an economy that in the United States basically dropped by 45%. Uh, that is GDP dropped by 45%. So if we use that equivalent today, we'd be going from about a $14 trillion economy down to an $8 trillion economy. That means that people, an awful lot of people are going to be a lot poorer than they are today, and a lot of them are not even going to be working. Uh, in the United States in 1933, 25% of the workforce was out of work, and uh, at that time, we had, you know, there was a huge uh, uh, number of people employed in the agricultural sector, not nearly so many this time, and the agricultural sector continued to work. I think things are going to be very, very bad, very, very hard on people, and uh, and I really don't see any way around it. You know, what Obama is doing now, President Obama is doing now, is really trying to duplicate what President Roosevelt. President Obama, and he thinks that he can centrally plan the entire economy, both he and the Fed. And what we see with, uh, you know, under Austrian economic um, theory, is interest rates regulate production over time. And so when we had the interest rates suppressed for these last 60 years, we've uh, – produced a lot of things, uh, particularly the population of the world has increased uh, by a couple multiples. So do you see, especially with peak oil and these complex systems that can fail, do you see that we could perhaps have even a worst-case scenario like some of these peak oil people talk about, like a die-off situation? Well, you know, I subscribe to the theory of peak oil, but again, I think the demand for oil is going to drop precipitously. Uh, simply because <laughs> no one's going to be working. Uh, again, if we use the idea that 45% of the U.S. economy is, uh, you know, is going to be halted, uh, that means essentially that the same kind of oil demand is going to, you know, the percentage in drop in oil demand is also going to occur in the United States. And, and it's the United States. We're only picking on the United States because. She has the largest economy in the world, but we're all going to be in the same boat. So the whole world economy is probably going to drop by that kind of uh, percentage. Not necessarily uh, a precipitous enough drop that we could see 90% of the Earth's population uh, kind of washed away in this debt purge because of unsustainability. Well, you're not going to see that because, uh, uh, you know, there's a significant part of the world's population who basically don't have anything anyway. 
you know, if you go into Africa and, and huge parts of China and so on, India, even though they are emerging nations, they still have a large percentage of the population that are extremely poor. So it's, it's the wealthy nations that are really going to be hurt by this downturn. And um, so, and I think in particular it's going to be uh, WASP nations, uh, United States, Canada, Australia, and Great Britain, because that's probably where we saw the biggest take on on debt. Okay, I I actually uh, tend to agree with that side. I think that the uh, huge die-off predictions of some of the extreme parts of the peak oil movement are uh, perhaps overstated, uh, but I do think that we're going to see a lot more of this return to the base growing food and a lot less of this fabricated economy, uh, just like you said. If people want to learn more about uh, your work and your theory, how can they, how can they do that? They can, uh, they can go to my website, which is uh, www.longwavegroup.com. Uh, all my work, everything I've ever written is there available to them on the website, and uh, all the charts uh, showing the Kondratiev chart uh, and, uh, you know, how this has evolved over the... 200 plus years uh, and how it's repeated itself with remarkable accuracy and made it such a very uh, excellent predictive tool. Especially as we've talked about your uh, your grounding in Austrian economics and you've been right again and again and again for uh, for a significant number of material uh, issues like the housing crisis and things like that. So I definitely encourage people to head on over there and uh, take a look at some of your work and uh, perhaps subscribe to your newsletter. Well, thank, thank you, you very much. for the interview. Oh, thank you. Thank, thanks very much, Trace. And I'm, I'm glad we were able to get it to work. I uh, want to say one thing. These guys are pretty serious players in our industry. Uh, we provide links from this website to their websites. Take a look at what Trace Meyer has to say uh, at his website, rundagold.com.